podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I can't tell you how much that means to me, so thank you again. On today's episode, we're going to cover quite a bit in part one. We'll start with an update on COVID-19 in Italy, then we'll cover the latest two rounds of Serie B action, we'll also cover the Italian teams that played in Champions League and Europa League this week, and we'll close part one with a recap of Napoli Femminile's match last weekend against Empoli. In part two, we'll review Napoli's Europa League match against AZ Alkmaar, and in part three, we'll preview Napoli's upcoming match against Benevento. So let's get into the news. With so many matches being played, there hasn't been too much news to report besides the odd transfer rumor, but I do want to provide an update on coronavirus in Italy. Italy is engulfed in a second wave. During the lockdown, the virus was controlled, reaching a low of 190 cases in late July and in early August. But as restrictions were lifted and schools reopened, positive cases began to rise. At the end of August, new cases were up to about 1,400. In September, they peaked at 1,900, but in October, the cases skyrocketed. On October 1st, the country reported about 1,500 cases, and on Friday the 23rd, that number had risen to 19,000. The government reacted by introducing some restrictions in an attempt to control the virus, but are resisting another lockdown because of the impact it would have on an already devastated economy. One of those measures was to stop amateur sports, When I first read this, I thought it meant that women's sports would be cancelled as women athletes are not yet recognized as professionals, but there is an exception that allows competitive amateur sports to continue as they have the ability to implement COVID protocols. Restrictions were also put in place on the hours of operation of restaurants and game rooms, and the mayors were given the authority to close public streets or squares in urban centers after 9pm, or in other words, to introduce curfews. The president of the Campania region, Vincenzo De Luca, did just that. He introduced a curfew and closed schools, as nearly 2,300 of those 19,000 cases were in the Campania region alone. Moreover, he called for the prime minister to introduce another lockdown and to block transport between regions before the death numbers get out of control. Now, that was not well received. What started out as peaceful protests quickly escalated to rioting. Police had to use batons and tear gas to control the public who had set garbage bins on fire and vandalized cars. Banners were posted that read against the Luca and you close us, you pay us. Fights broke out on the streets between the public and the police. And protests were also happening in Salerno, Nocera and other cities in the region. Now, I know this is a sensitive subject for a lot of people, so I'll refrain from providing my personal opinion. But what I will say is I can understand why De Luca did what he did. And I think the behavior of the public was not just a reaction to this decision, but there's pent up anger there and this was the final straw that broke the camel's back. Before I move on, I do want to provide an update on Napoli's appeal to the sports judges ruling on the Juventus match. Napoli's lawyer, Matteo Grassani, spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss earlier in the week. 
he said that Judge Mastandrea cannot tell us that Napoli no longer intended to leave for Torino because the papers show the opposite. Moreover, at that time, if the measure had been positive, Napoli could have easily organized a trip with the availability of the airline and the possibility of recovering the players and arriving in Torino two to three hours early. He added that interviews with the directors of the ASL confirmed that Napoli were ordered to quarantine by the local authorities, and in order to travel, whether downstairs or 1,600 kilometers away, they needed written approval from the ASL. To me, that's the one that will ultimately decide this case, because the ASL said in their letter that they are not responsible for banning travel. It will be a while before we have a resolution, as Grassani suggested that Napoli will take this to the highest level, but there's a step-by-step process to follow. If the response to the appeal is negative, then it will go to Kony. Okay, so last episode was so packed that we didn't have time to cover Serie B and Napoli Femminile, and on top of that, we had midweek action in Europe, so I'll cover all of that now. Starting with Serie B, there were two rounds since the last update we provided, Round 3 was played over the weekend, and Round 4 was played midweek. Brescia defeated Lecce 3-0 to start Round 3. That was Brescia's first win since bringing back Diego Lopez. The match of the round had to be Pordenone against Spal. This was a bit of a wild one. Pordenone scored twice in the opening 20 minutes to take an early 2-0 lead. Spal came back and scored 3 goals in 22 minutes to take a 3-2 lead early in the second half. Then neither team scored until the 90th minute when Pordenone were awarded a penalty for a really foolish handball from Alessandro Murja in the box. Davide Diao converted the penalty to score his second of the match, which finished in a 3-3 draw. Salernitana and Lazio owner Claudio Lotito was at the Stadio Arecchi to watch his Salernitana side take on Pisa. Napoli-owned Gennaro Tutino scored a brace to help Salernitana to an easy 4-1 victory. Tutino now has three goals on the season. Regina drew Antella 1-1. Regina thought they were coasting to a 1-0 victory after a lovely free kick goal from Lorenzo Cristetig, but things fell apart after that. Marco Crimi picked up a second yellow in the 61st minute, and then in the dying minutes of the match, Marco Mancosu was fouled in the box. He stepped up and converted the penalty to equalize the score. Cosenza drew Cittadella 1-1. Cittadella was the only team with a perfect record heading into the round, so now no team has a perfect record, and such is the parody of Serie B. In other matches, Cremonese drew Venezia 0-0, Chievo beat Regina 1-0, Alessio Dionisi's Empoli defeated Massimo Odos Pescara 2-1, Alessandro Nesta's Frosinone lost 1-0 to Ascoli on a beautiful solo effort from Alessandro Salvi, and Monza Vicenza was postponed, due to a COVID outbreak at Monza. Moving on to the midweek action, the match of the round for me was the final match, which was Lecce versus Cremonese. Cremonese scored two goals in three minutes to go ahead, 2-0 about a third of the way into the match. Napoli-owned Gianluca Gaetano scored the first. Parma's Castro Dermacu pulled one back early in the second half, and Massimo Coda, who joined Lecce from Benevento, scored the equalizer in what turned out to be a 2-2 draw. A late goal from Rajana was not enough as they were defeated 2-1 by Ascoli. Kevo defeated Brescia on an excellent strike from Luca Garitano. Cittadella defeated Pordenone 2-0 to remain undefeated. Camilo Tavernelli scored a gorgeous volley in this one. Empoli beat Spal 2-1. Salvatore Esposito, the younger brother of Inter own Sebastiano Esposito, scored the lone goal for Spal. Pisa drew Monza 1-1, so despite spending a ton of money, Monza have yet to win a match. They've drawn all three of their matches so far. Cosenza drew Regina 0-0. Venezia smashed Pescara 4-0. 22-year-old Yusuf Malay had an excellent match. 
he scored a goal and assisted two more, and Vicenza drew Salernitana 1-1. Moving on to Europe, seven Italian teams played in European competitions this week. Juventus were the first Italian team to play on Tuesday against Ukrainian side Dinamo Kiev. Juve got back on track after their 1-1 draw to Crotone last weekend. Cristiano Ronaldo did not play as he contracted coronavirus while on international duties with Portugal, but Alvaro Morata filled the void nicely. The poachers scored two typical Morata goals, the first was on a rebound and the second on a header from a gorgeous cross from Juan Cuadrado. Both of Juve's expensive young signings, Federico Chiesa and Dejan Kulusevski, looked good in this match. They linked up on the first goal, and even though Juve didn't score the second until the 84th minute, the result never seemed in doubt. The match of the round for me was Lazio against Borussia Dortmund. This was being touted as Chiro Immobile versus his former club, or the past Dortmund striker Immobile versus the current striker Erling Haaland. Both of them got in on the action. Immobile scored the opening goal and assisted on the final goal of the match. Haaland scored with a blast from the top of the box. He now has 11 Champions League goals in only 9 appearances, which is just remarkable. Most experts and fans were predicting a Borussia Dortmund blowout, but after losing 3-0 to Sampdoria, Lazio shocked Dortmund with a 3-1 win. This was easily Lazio's best performance since before the lockdown. They dominated the first half and then sat back a little in the second half. This was a masterclass performance from Luis Alberto. I mentioned Chiro Immobile's performance. It's amazing what a difference he makes for this Lazio squad. And there were some tense moments after the Haaland goal, but John Daniel Akpa Akpro sealed the win with his first goal for Lazio. Atalanta and Inter played on Wednesday. Atalanta played FC Midtjylland in the pouring rain. That didn't slow them down, winning 4-0 on goals from three regulars and one new player. Duvan Zapata opened the scoring with a lovely layoff from Christian Romero. Papu Gomez continues to shine. He scored a blast from the top of the box. Luis Muriel jumped on a rebound to score the third, and Alexi Miranchuk scored his first for La Dea since joining in the summer. His goal may have been even nicer than Papu's. Josip Ilicic looked much better in this match, which is good to see. Hopefully he returns to the form he showed last season. So Atalanta responded really well after suffering a lopsided defeat to Napoli on the weekend. Inter were the final Italian team to play in the Champions League. They played against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Inter looked like the much better side in the first half, but were not able to score. Lautaro Martinez started on the bench, but replaced Alexis Sanchez at the half and made an immediate impact. I think Sanchez is best used as a substitute, but with the schedule as busy as it is, I understand the decision to start Sanchez. Matteo Darmian got in on the action as well in his first appearance for Inter. Credit to Gladbach, after the Inter goal, they really stepped up their play. Arturo Vidal made two costly plays for Inter, first lunging in to foul Marcus Turam inside the box when he really didn't need to. Remy Bensabaini stepped up and converted the penalty, and then Vidal played Jonas Hoffman onside on the second goal. Thankfully for Interisti, they have Romelu Lukaku who scored a brace, including a late equalizer, so he's now scored in every match this season. Three Italian clubs were in action in the Europa League. Napoli lost 1-0 to Alkmaar, which we'll cover in detail in Part 2. Milan played Celtic. Both of these clubs have long histories in European competition, but neither is where they want to be at the moment. Milan is certainly heading in the right direction, though. Pioli rotated quite a bit, but that didn't slow this Milan team down at all. Even without Hakan Chalanoglu, they dominated this match. Celtic really struggled with the pace of Teo Hernandez on the left side. Milan opened the scoring in the 13th minute. Krunic headed in Samu Castillejo's cross. Brahim Diaz scored a lovely goal just before the end of the first half. Celtic looked much better in the second half and were able to pull one back in the 75th minute, 
But as it turns out, Milan have depth now. Before the goal, Rafael Leao and Ishmael Benacer were brought in, and after the goal, Alexis Salamakers and Jens Peter Haug also came in. The latter two linked up to score Milan's third of the night, so Milan have now played 21 consecutive matches without suffering a defeat. The final Italian team in action midweek was Roma, who defeated Young Boys 2-1 on a synthetic surface in Switzerland. Paolo Fonseca made 9 changes to the squad that played Benevento on the weekend, which didn't start off too well. Young Boys opened the scoring from the penalty spot. I'm a little on the fence about the penalty call. At first glance, I didn't think that Cristante did much wrong, but on the replay, it did appear that he stuck out his hip a little bit. Prolific scorer Jean-Pierre and Sam converted the penalty. Fonseca responded by bringing in Edin Zeko in the second half, which made a huge difference. Once again, he reminded us that he's so much more than just a goal scorer. He played a gorgeous through ball to Carlos Perez on the equalizer. Goalkeeper Paul Lopez made a great play to start the move by picking out Zeko around midfield with a long toss. He desperately needed something positive after a rough go of it last season. Roma kept the pressure on and Marash Kumbula gave them the lead with his first for Roma only 5 minutes after Perez equalized. So unfortunately, of the 7 Italian teams playing in Europe this week, Napoli were the only ones to lose, and Napoli and Inter were the only ones not to win. We'll close part 1 with a recap of Napoli Femminile's match against Empoli on Saturday, which was the 17th of October for those who might be listening to this episode a bit later in the week. We were without a few key players in this match. Despoina Chatsinicolao injured her ACL against Florentia in the previous match. Winger Jacinta and defender Paola Di Marino were also not available. So Giuseppe Marino went with Catalina Perez in goal. She seemed to have taken over as the starting keeper. Sofia Janssen made her debut at center back in place of Di Marino. Federica Criscio played in the other center back position. Elisabetta Oliviero played left back and Federica Caferata played at right back. In the midfield, Sarah Huchette and Emma Erico played in the middle, Jenny Hillman played on the left wing, and Isobel Dalton played on the right wing. Anna Martinez and Isota Noki played as the dual strikers in the 4-4-2, which was a change of formation from Marino. Empoli started immediately on the front foot, but it was Napoli who had the first real scoring opportunity. Noki got free on the right side, but Empoli keeper Alessia Capelletti did well to close her down and stop her sliding shot. Outside of the first 5 minutes, Napoli were by far the better side. In the 7th minute, Emma Erico came very close to lobbing over the keeper, but her shot landed on top of the goal. Noki came close again in the 13th minute with her shot crossed from the right side, but it just missed the far post. Napoli came close again in the 17th minute. Erico played a dangerous ball into the area, which was cleared to Caferata at the top of the box, but she couldn't keep her shot down. The combination of Caferata, Dalton, and Noki on the right side worked very well and looked dangerous throughout the first half, but in the 57th minute, Caferata picked up her second yellow. I personally thought that decision was a bit harsh. It was a foul, but I don't think it was a foul worthy of a yellow. Napoli were somewhat unfortunate too because immediately prior to the foul, Sarah Huchette fouled Cecilia Prunia in the middle of the field, which was far more deserving of a yellow, but the referee either missed it or played the advantage, which then led to the Caferata foul. That really changed the complexion of the match. Empoli, who had really not created anything to that point, started to get forward more. Napoli still had their chances despite being a player down. Then in the 84th minute, Janssen's worst nightmare became a reality. She whiffed on her clearance at the top of her own box. The ball was quickly played out to Norma Cinotti and her low shot beat Perez. That proved to be the winner. So the last few matches have been pretty tough for Napoli. We had a forfeit against Inter, which would have been our only point of the season. 
Then we lost to Florentia on an 89th minute penalty. And then in this match, we lost in the 84th minute. With six losses in six matches, our return to Serie A has been very disappointing. Giuseppe Marino needs to figure something out or we'll be heading back down to Serie B pretty quickly. And to make matters worse, on Saturday, the club announced that one of our first team players has tested positive for COVID. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll recap Napoli's loss to Alkmaar. Siamo nati e cresciuti a Napoli. Per noi non è solo una squadra di calcio, è una città. Napoli è identità. Napoli corre, lotta, si ribella. Napoli è bella. Qui non sei mai solo. Qui puoi tutto. Qui puoi spiccare il volo. E allora, tutti insieme, cantiamo in coro. Napoli opened the Europa League with a match at the San Paolo against IZ Alkmaar. On loan from Stoke City. And it's Napoli to get us underway. If you're new to- well, that's a dreadful giveaway. And this is Ossiman with Dries Mertens in support. It's Mertens for Napoli. And you can't believe he hasn't made it 1-0. And the final action of the half will be a Napoli free kick, which will be taken by Dries Mertens here. Must miss hit that, but it falls for Ossiman. It was half a chance, you know. Skidded through awkwardly, and that will be the end of the half. And we are underway. RZ in the red from left to right in this second half. Goalless at half time at the San Paolo. Something has to change, particularly for the home side here. Coke Mainers. As Sugawara, Svensson has kept his run going here, and Svensson pulls it back! And RZ have the lead, Danny DeVitt. And having stopped Napoli at one end, they catch them cold at the other. This will be it. In from Mario what a chance but Di Lorenzo heads it wide and that will do it I'm sure good delivery there is the final whistle they have their win severely depleted but ultimately victorious Danny DeVitt with the goal 12 minutes into the second half against an informed Napoli who picked a strong side as well but it's RZ who emerge victorious and at the Stadio San Paolo it finishes Napoli nil RZ one as you heard Napoli lost this match 1-0 as usual let's start with the lineups 
Alkmaar switched to a 4-3-3, which in itself is not a huge change as they typically defend in a 4-3-3 and attack in a 4-2-3-1. Marco Bizot returned in goal after missing one match. At the back, there was one difference to what we had predicted. Bruno Martinsindi started at centre-back instead of Ramon Leeuwen. Pancelis Chatsiakos was the other centre-back. Owen Windall started at left-back and Jonas Venson started at right-back as expected. In the midfield, we had Frederick Mitzo and Tune Koopmeyers playing in a double pivot, but in the 4-3-3, Koopmeyers played on the left and Mitzo played on the right. Calvin Stengs, who's normally a winger, dropped into center mid so that Danny DeWitt could play striker in Myron Boadu's absence. Jesper Carlsen played on the left wing, which was also expected, but Yukinari Sugawara was a bit of a surprise start on the right wing. For Napoli, Gattuso stuck with the 4-2-3-1, but made a couple of changes to the lineup that started against Atalanta. Alex Meret started in goal. Nikola Maksimovic started over Kostas Manolas at centre-back, next to Kalidou Koulibaly. Elsie Kusai and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at fullback. I thought we would see Mario Rui there, but he did not get the start. In the midfield, Stanislav Lobotka played in place of Timoui Bakayoko alongside Fabian Ruiz. And the top four from Saturday remained unchanged. Chucky Lozano started on the left, Matteo Politano started on the right, and Dries Mertens played in the 10 spot behind Victor Osimhen. This was a really underwhelming performance that probably goes without saying for anyone that watched the match. I thought it was interesting that Atalanta bounced back with a huge win in the Champions League after a disappointing performance against Napoli. Meanwhile, Napoli followed up their massive win over Atalanta with this performance in the Europa League. We lacked the hunger and energy that we saw against Atalanta on the weekend. Gattuso addressed this in his interview with Sky Sport after the match. He said, these games cannot be lost. Now we can no longer make mistakes. Our ball possession was sterile and with too many balls played on the feet and without ever a give and go, so we would have not even scored even if we were playing until tomorrow. We tickled our opponents, it takes more vehemence and hunger. They had never defended with malice like today. In my opinion, they were more motivated by the absences of COVID. I saw some people online suggesting that we don't care about the Europa League, I disagree with that. If we didn't care, we would not have fielded this squad. Like I said, Gattuso only made three changes to the squad he fielded against Atalanta. For me, I think this was just an off day and perhaps the players were not mentally prepared, which I think is understandable. I know they're professionals, but they're also humans. It's a lot easier to get psyched up for a match against Atalanta, who are a club that we're going to be competing with for a place in the Champions League. Yes, this is European football, but this was a match against a mid-table Dutch team who had four draws and four matches in the Eredivisie and were missing a number of players, including a few key players, because of COVID. You also have to give Alkmaar credit, they came with a plan which of course was to defend and counter and they executed that plan very well. They were very organized at the back and when they did get the ball they didn't panic, when they were pressed they calmly passed the ball around and played themselves out of dangerous areas. As a Napoli supporter you can't really fault Alkmaar for taking this approach, they gave us a taste of our own medicine, this was the exact same strategy we used in big cup matches last season. We did it to Barcelona in the first leg of our round of 16 tie in the Champions League, we also did it to Inter and Juventus in the semi-final and final of the Coppa Italia. This was a team loss, I don't think you could pin it on any one or two players, but that didn't stop people from doing just that on social media. LCQ side was getting a lot of criticism, I agree he didn't play well, but not too many Napoli players did. I was expecting to see Mario Rui start, but I think he's better paired with Insigne, so it made sense that they both came on at the same time. I saw complaints about bringing in Bakayoko for Politano because Politano was having a decent match. Politano seems to have developed good chemistry with Giovanni Di Lorenzo on the right wing. They were two of the more positive players in this match. 
I tweeted during the match what changes I thought Gattuso would make, and this was the only one I got wrong. I was expecting Bakayoko to replace Fabian, but when I thought about this afterwards, I realized that Gattuso was probably also thinking ahead to the Benevento match. We'll get to the preview in part 3, but even if Insigne starts on the left, one of Lozano and Politano would need to start on the right. Politano seems to be the preferred option. We've seen that Lozano is more dangerous playing on the left and having the option to cut into his right foot. Lozano was fairly quiet in this match. He excels when he's given space to play, which is the opposite of what happened here. He did have a claim for a penalty in the first half when it appeared that his arm was tugged in the box, but it wasn't given and there is no VAR in the Europa League. Finally, there were complaints about taking Osimhen out instead of Mertens. That one I tend to agree with. This was far from Mertens' best performance. He missed Napoli's best chance of the match. He normally finishes opportunities like that with ease. Osimhen did really well to anticipate the pass, control it on his chest, and pick out Mertens' run. Mertens also seemed gassed early in the second half. I think it would have been really intriguing to have both Osimhen and Patania on the field together for the final half hour. We saw Gattuso play them together in the final minutes of the Parma match in what appeared to be a 4-4-2. And the way Alkmaar were defending, with everyone behind the ball, why not throw two big men in the box and just cross the ball in? We saw Pitania come close to scoring a header on just one of those crosses. Again, we'll talk about Benevento in part 3, but to me this means that Gattuso must have already decided that Mertens is resting for the Benevento match. The last thing I want to talk about is the goal. First of all, you have to give Alkmaar credit for how they moved both on and off the ball. Watching this live, I thought this was just a well-worked goal, and it was, but watching it again, a few things caught my eye. First, Lozano is marking Svensson, which he should be, Svensson is the right back, but when Svensson plays the give and go with Sugawara, Lozano doesn't follow the run. He only chases him down after he realizes that no one is there to pick up the run, which is why Svensson gets the cross in. The other thing I noticed is DeWitt is standing in the middle of four Napoli players in the box. He's surrounded by Fabian, Lobotka, Maximovic, and Koulibaly. Of course, all the people who said Napoli were asking for too much for Koulibaly, most of whom are EPL fans, blamed him for this goal. But as far as I could tell, none of the other three players around DeWitt warned Koulibaly about the run behind him. Certainly none of them followed the run. They all just assumed that Koulibaly would pick him up. So like I mentioned in part one, Napoli were the only Italian team to lose in European competition this week. At the end of the day though, I think it's a little early to panic. Every team has an off day every now and then and I'm glad that it came in the opening match of the Europa League with 5 matches remaining to make up ground and not in Serie A. To me, qualifying for the Champions League is the number one priority. Perhaps if we start getting deeper into the Europa League then winning the cup probably becomes a higher priority. In the other match in the group, Real Sociedad beat Rijeka 1-0. I think it's safe to say that Rijeka is going to finish at the bottom of the group. Those two matches against Real Sociedad will therefore be very important for Napoli. As Gattuso said, after the match we can't afford any errors in the upcoming matches. The first of those two matches is on Thursday of next week. So that will do for part 2. In part 3 we'll preview Napoli's upcoming derby against Benevento. Close the pod with a preview of Napoli's match against Benevento on Sunday. Benevento have two wins and two losses in their four matches played. 
which is not bad at all for a newly promoted club and one that took 19 rounds to get their first win last time they were in Serie A. They opened their season with their second round matchup against Sampdoria. That was a dramatic come from behind win after going down 2-0 in the first half. Then they played their round one matchup against Inter which was postponed because Inter reached the final of the Europa League. Benevento lost 5-2. That was Benevento's worst performance of the short season so far. They were dominated by Inter's backups which is not that much to be ashamed of as Inter's backups can probably beat half the teams in the league quite comfortably. That was followed by a fortuitous 1-0 win over Bologna. Bologna were by far the better side but Lorenzo Montipo had an excellent match in goal. He was one of if not the best keeper in Serie B last season. He's had some struggles this season, more so with playing the ball with his feet, but he showed in this match that he has the potential to win matches for his team. Benevento were also very fortunate that Bologna had a goal overturned by VAR, which I thought was a very questionable decision. Gabriele Moncini picked up a groin injury in that match. You never want to see a player get hurt, but that may have been a blessing in disguise as Gianluca Lapadula has been very good in his place. In fact, even when Moncini was healthy, Benevento looked better when Lapadula replaced him off the bench. And last round, Benevento lost 5-2 to Roma, but that scoreline doesn't really reflect how the game went. I thought Benevento were very competitive in the match, but they got caught pressing a little too high when they were down 3-2. So obviously Benevento are not a top tier team, but they're also not to be taken lightly. I think they could be like Lecce were last season and have the ability to pull off a couple of surprise wins. So that brings us to the starting lineups. Pipo Inzaghi lines up his men in a 4-3-3 and he doesn't rotate a whole lot. Lorenzo Montipo will start in goal. Dom Fulon plays at left back and Gaetano Letizia plays at right back. Christian Maggio has made two appearances at right back, once as a starter and the other off the bench. It would be great to see him get a few minutes against his former club. He was still at Napoli the last time Benevento were in Serie A. Luca Caldirola and Camille Glick are the center backs. Pasquale Scatarella is the center mid with Brian Dabo typically playing on his left and Arturo Ionita on his right. Up top, I mentioned that Gianluca Lapadula has taken over as striker with Gabriele Moncini hurt. Gianluca Caprari is the starting left winger and since joining the club in the summer transfer window, Iago Falque has taken over at right wing. Prior to Falque joining, Lorenzo Insigne's brother Roberto was the starting right winger. He did make an appearance off the bench against Roma and I thought he played very well so hopefully he gets a chance to play against his brother in this one. That is of course assuming that Lorenzo plays or hasn't been removed by then. For Napoli, I'm very curious to see the lineup that Gattuso deploys, given that Napoli just played in the Europa League on Thursday, and then after Benevento were back at it again against Real Sociedad. So for me, that means that any players that started in both the Atalanta and the Alkmaar matches probably shouldn't start in this one as well. Many of our players are certainly fit enough to play three matches in a short period, but you definitely don't want them to play four matches in a short period. The only player who played almost every match with the condensed schedule after the restart was Lorenzo Insigne. So let's give this a shot. With Meret playing against Alkmaar, I think David Ospina will return between the sticks. At the back, I'm expecting two changes. I think Nikola Maksimovic will start over Kaladu Koulibaly since Koulibaly played the last two. Kostas Manolas didn't play against Alkmaar, so he should start alongside Maksimovic. Likewise, I think Mario Rui will finally start at left back after LCQ Sai put in a poor performance against Alkmaar. He's another player that's clocked a lot of minutes recently. Now, it is quite possible that Gattuso moves Kusai to the right side to give Di Lorenzo a break, but either way, one of those two will play three straight matches. I suppose Gattuso could even give Kevin Malqui a start, but I doubt he does that. Gattuso likes to rotate, but he also likes to maintain some consistency. 
In the midfield, Tiamue Bakayoko should return to the starting 11, but I'm very curious to see what Gattuso does both in terms of the formation and in terms of the front five. I posted about this on Twitter and got some interesting feedback. What I posted was that Mertens played 75 minutes against Atalanta and the full 90 against Alkmaar, so I can't see Dries starting in this match. And for that reason, I suggested that Gattuso will either play Fabian in the number 10 or he will return to the 4-3-3 for this match. One of the common responses I got is that Insigne could play in the number 10 spot, which is really interesting because it also solves a problem that we have at the moment, albeit a good problem. That is, Lozano has looked best playing on the left wing, but Gattuso can't bench his captain and nor should he. While Lozano scores more, Insigne is a creative playmaker, which is something that was really lacking against Alkmaar. By playing Insigne in the 10, you get the best of both worlds. Now, on the one hand, it's very hard for me to picture Insigne playing anywhere other than on the left wing. But on the other hand, even though he plays a left wing, he moves around the pitch quite a bit, so he's certainly comfortable playing in the middle of the field. I'm going to go a bit off the wall and say that Gattuso goes back to the 4-3-3 for this match. With a three-man midfield, one of Diego Deme and Stanislav Lobotka will play with Fabian and Bakayoko. Since Lobotka started against Alkmaar, I'll say that Deme starts this one. While the idea of playing Insigne in the 10 is very intriguing, I think over the next few matches Gattuso is going to rotate between his three wingers. I think he'll want to save Politano for Real Sociedad, so I'll take Lozano to start on the right wing. Finally, I'll take Andrea Pitania to start as striker. So to recap, I have Ospina in goal, Rui Maximovic, Manolas, and Kusai at the back, Deme, Bakayoko, and Fabian in the middle, and Insigne, Lozano, and Pitania up top. I know that's a lot of changes to the squads we fielded against Atalanta and Alkmaar, but it's only four changes to the squad we fielded in the opening match of the season against Parma, and one of those changes is necessitated by the absence of Zielinski. If Napoli struggle to score, then we can replace Demet with Mertens and Petania with Osimhen, and go back to the 4-2-3-1. The head official for this match is Daniele Doveri. His linesmen are Domenico Roca and Salvatore Affatato. The fourth official is Ivano Pezzuto, and on the VAR are Paolo Valeri, assisted by Matteo Pesetti. For my prediction, I'm going to give Napoli a 3-1 win here. I'll give Napoli's goals to Petania, Insigne, and Lozano. And for Benevento, I'll give the goal to Caprari. Now, this prediction is really going to come down to whether Napoli can score in the first half. After what happened against Alkmaar, I'd be surprised if Inzaghi didn't play a similar 10-men-behind-the-ball tactic. However, we didn't have Insigne in that match, at least not from the start. I think he'll be very important both for his playmaking abilities and for his leadership on the field. We saw him yelling at his teammates for the short time he was on against Alkmaar. I think Gattuso is going to make sure that this team brings more energy in this match than they did midweek. The players will be motivated to keep up their strong start in Serie A and to make up for the lackluster performance in Europe. As we saw in their matches against Inter and Roma, when Benevento fall behind, they press high and often get caught out, which is why I have Napoli scoring three goals. So that's our preview of Napoli vs Benevento. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again after the match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.